Oh, and by the way, normally I, it takes me like 40 times to do these, so you're going to hear a rough cut. So if I make a lot of mistakes, I'll just apologize because we can't fix them. So, Are we counting how many times you cuss, too? No, I'm not. You're not I'm, cursing I'm today. I'm going to try not to. No cursing. So, okay. Got it. All right. Here we go. No, <laughs> On April 14, 1912, four days into its maiden voyage, the world's largest passenger steamship, RMS Titanic, struck an iceberg and sank in just two hours and 40 minutes, carrying 1,517 people to the depths of the Atlantic Ocean. When she left port, the owners of the White Star Line had bragged in headlines around the world that Titanic was unsinkable. Of course, we all know that turned out not to be the case. Most of us know the story of Titanic. We've read books, we've watched television shows, and we've seen one of the highest grossing films in the history of the, of the world about the ship, even if many of us refuse to admit how much we loved it, because you know you did. But do we know everything there is to know about Titanic, like the ghost stories, the strange events, the eerie coincidences, and even the stories of passengers who've returned from beyond the grave? Well, if you don't know them already, you're just about to as we present a special episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor with special help from Lisa Taylor, this episode was recorded live at the 22nd Annual Dead of Winter Festival at the Haunted Mineral Springs in Alton, Illinois on February 8th of 2020. What you're about to hear, mistakes and all, is the sole responsibility of the podcast hosts who take full blame for any disaster which may or may not happen. So welcome to all our guests who are with us today and to all of you who are tuning in to hear what happened. You'll hear it on Tuesday, February 11th. A lot has changed with the podcast since Cody and I first attempted a recording like this in 2018. You know, the year that Cody forgot to turn the equipment on and the podcast was recording off Leah's phone. But you didn't know that. But last year, it went off without a hitch, and I'm sure this one will too. Thanks to audio help from our friend Charlie Brockus, who does a lot of our music for the podcast, and our wonderful Patreon supporters, even though we didn't bring all the new gear, uh, who've helped us upgrade our gear and turn out better shows. Thanks to all of you. And thanks to all of you who have given us such great reviews over the last couple of years and have been so supportive in all we do. We appreciate it more than you know, and we hope that you'll be as excited as we will be as the show continues for a very long time to come. But now on with today's show. Most of us are familiar with, familiar, see here, I already did it. Most of us are familiar enough with Titanic that we don't have to delve too deeply into the size and amenities of the ship. But it was four blocks long, 11 stories high, and the biggest ship ever built. It had everything you could imagine, from swimming pools to a hospital, opulent staterooms, lounges, dining areas, libraries, barber shops, and more. It had been built with a double-bottomed hull and watertight compartments to guard against collisions because the ship, the passengers were all assured, was unsinkable. And perhaps that's why it was launched with only enough lifeboats for about half the people on board. No one believed they'd ever be necessary. Titanic began her maiden voyage on April 10th with Captain Edward J. Smith in command. After crossing the English Channel, Titanic stopped in France and then in Ireland to board additional passengers. When she finally set out for New York, there were 2,240 people on board. Among them were some of the most prominent people of the day, all traveling in first class, of course. They included millionaire John Jacob Astor IV and his 19-year-old pregnant wife Madeline, industrialist Benjamin J. Guggenheim, Macy's department store owner Isidore Strauss and his wife Ida, 
Denver millionaire Margaret Molly Brown, who became known afterwards as the unsinkable Molly Brown, due to her efforts in helping other passengers while the ship sank. As well as fashion designers, famous cricket players, authors, silent movie star Dorothy Gibson, and many others. Also traveling to first class aboard the ship were White Star Line's managing director, J. Bruce Ismay, and the ship's builder, Thomas Andrews, who was on board to observe any problems and assess the general performance of the new ship. Both men were destined for a very unhappy voyage. And uh, well, Andrew's ship, his trip got cut really short. Um, the early days of the ship were plagued by disorganization and poor radio communications. All of that could be chalked up to a new crew on an unfamiliar vessel, but it's hard to understand why ship's lookouts in the crow's nest had no binoculars. Apparently, they'd been misplaced. Binoculars might have come in handy to say, I don't know, look for icebergs. And then there are the radio problems. The ship was outfitted with a brand new state-of-the-art wireless set. And I lost my place. Um, I know. Uh, wireless set. Oh, here we go. The ship was outfitted with a brand new state-of-the-art wireless set. The radio room received two critically important messages about icebergs in Titanic's path, but there was no protocol in place about how those messages were supposed to be relayed to the bridge, so they were just left in the radio room for two days. Since Captain Smith had no idea how close or how dangerous the ice field ahead of them was, he had no reason to slow down or post extra lookouts on the clear cold night of April 14th. There was no moon that night and the sea was dead calm. This made it difficult to spot icebergs at a distance which was necessary with a ship as large as Titanic because well, she needed a lot of time to turn. At 11.40 p.m., about 400 miles south of the Grand Banks of Newfoundland, lookouts Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee spotted a large iceberg directly ahead of the ship. It seemed to come from nowhere. Fleet sounded the ship's bell three times and telephoned the bridge, crying out a warning, iceberg right ahead, but the warning came too late. The iceberg brushed the ship's starboard bow, buckling the hull in several places and popping out rivets below the waterline. The damage was 299 feet long. Captain Smith, altered by the jolt of the impact, arrived on the bridge and ordered a full stop. Shortly after midnight, following an inspection by the ship's officers and its builder, Thomas Andrews, the lifeboats were ordered to be readied and a distress call was sent out. Unfortunately, neither the passengers nor all the officers initially knew the full gravity of the situation. So assembling the passengers and readying and loading the lifeboats went really slowly at first. Many of the boats were lowered half empty. There had been no drills about how to use the lifeboats because, again, no one ever thought they'd be used. So with no clear instructions, third-class passengers found it difficult to make their way to the lifeboats. Only a few of the male steerage passengers and less than half of the women and children survived. Now, at first, there was little sense of urgency. Passengers confident of the massive ship's safety were reluctant to be lowered about 70 feet down to the surface of the icy water in what seemed to be pretty flimsy boats. And the crew didn't force them to go. You see, it was warmer inside the ship, and in the first-class lounge, the ship's band was playing to keep everyone's spirits up. Now, no one was taking anything seriously until the bow of the ship sank lower and lower, and it became clear that the Titanic was sinking. By this time, most of the lifeboats, some of them barely filled, were gone. As the final boats were loaded, ship's officers had to use the threat of firearms to keep order among the tense and panicking passengers. Urgent distress messages were sent out, but there were no ships close enough to save the passengers left on board. 
Around 2.10 a.m., with the bow filled with water, Titanic's stern rose up out of the water, exposing the propellers, and she began to sink beneath the waves. On deck, people scrambled for something to hold onto or tried to reach one of the nearby lifeboats. The ship's stern slowly rose into the air and everything unsecured crashed downward, tumbling and spinning and knocking down those who were clinging to anything that would keep them from falling into the sea. While the stern rose, the electrical system finally failed and the lights went out. Shortly afterward, the stress on the hull caused Titanic to break apart and the bow went completely under. The rest of the ship followed just 10 minutes later. Survivors splashed desperately in the bitterly cold water, but only two of the lifeboats returned to rescue people after the ship sank. There were some arguments in some of the other lifeboats about going back, but survivors were afraid of being swamped by people trying to climb into the lifeboats or being pulled down by the suction caused by the sinking ship. Those who were abandoned clung to anything that would float, you know, like a big wooden door that obviously would have held two people. <laughs> Hoping that they could survive long enough for rescue, but the bitterly cold water drained them of life and they sank beneath the water. By the time the closest ship, Carpathia, arrived, everyone who had been left in the water had long since died from hypothermia. The Carpathia brought aboard 700 and sur 705 survivors, all of them from the lifeboats. On April 18th, Carpathia arrived in New York with the stunned and grief-stricken survivors. The terrible news had beaten them to America, and the public was stunned to learn that the unsinkable Titanic was gone. Thousands lined the docks, hoping to get a glimpse of those on board. Newspapers were filled with descriptions of the disaster, and reporters were eager to get the latest information. Many charities were set up to help the victims and their families, many of whom had lost their husbands and fathers, or in the case of the third-class survivors, had lost everything they owned. Ships were chartered by the White Star Line to retrieve the bodies of the dead from the North Atlantic. Four ships joined the search, each with embalming supplies, undertakers, and clergy on board. In the end, 333 victims were recovered from the icy waters. They found so many bodies that embalming supplies on board were quickly exhausted. Health regulations allowed only embalmed bodies to be returned to shore, so the crews had the dilemma on their hands, or had a dilemma on their hands. After some discussions, the captains of the vessels decided to preserve all the bodies of the first-class passengers only. Everybody else got buried at sea. Even in death, third-class passengers were still getting screwed. In the wake of Titanic's loss, anger, and grief, it was felt all across America. Hearings were held seeking blame, reports were written, and papers were filed, but it all really came down to the arrogance of man to believe he could control the elements and the sea. Books were written and films were made about Titanic, and the story has never been far from the minds of the public. We're fascinated to learn every detail that we can about what happened that cold night in April, and we marvel at the objects that have been pulled from their watery grave and put on display in museums and traveling shows. But in addition to the stories, the history, the letters, and the artifacts, there are the strange tales of Titanic, tales of ghosts, bizarre happenings, and supernatural predictions. Some of those predictions came from a man named William T. Stead. Stead was a renowned British investigative journalist who became a controversial figure during the Victorian era. Stead published a series of highly influential social campaigns while editor of the Pall Mall Gazette. Stead's, quote, new journalism paved the way for the modern tabloid in Great Britain. He was influential in demonstrating how the press could be used to influence public opinion and government policy, and he became well known for his reportage on child welfare, social registration, ugh, child welfare, social legist... Just try again. 
That one was never going to work no. out. He was well known for his reportage on child welfare, social legislation, and reformation of England's criminal codes. Well, in the 1880s, he became fascinated with spiritualism and later founded a spiritualist quarterly called Borderlands. Stead claimed to be in receipt of messages from the spirit world and to be able to produce automatic writing. His spirit contact was alleged to be a dead woman named Julia Ames, an American temperance reformer and journalist whom he'd met shortly before her death. In 1886, Stead wrote a short story to warn the public of inadequate safety systems on the newly built ocean liners of the time. He said if his story would, he never, oh, he never said if his story was influenced by the spirit world, but it became an eerie foreshadowing of the Titanic disaster. The story was called, it's a very long title, How the Mail Steamer Went Down, How, yeah, how the Mail Steamer Went Down in Mid-Atlantic by a Survivor. The plot of the story followed a British sailor named Thomas who boards a newly built passenger liner that embarks on its maiden voyage to the United States. Thomas realizes that the ship's small number of lifeboats wouldn't be enough to save all the passengers and crew in case of an accident. However, no one takes him seriously. A couple of days into the journey, the liner strikes a stray sailing ship which due to a heavy fog wasn't visible until it became dangerously close to the liner. In the chaos that follows the accident, the passengers and crew realize the liner is indeed equipped with far too few lifeboats. Out of 916 people aboard, a mere 200 managed to board the lifeboats with more than 700 perishing in the wreck. Thomas managed to save himself by jumping into the water and climbing onto one of the lifeboats. The story included the author's editorial comment, which stated the following, quote, this is exactly what might take place and will take place if liners are sent to sea short of lifeboats. However, Stead's cautionary tale received little attention at the time it was published. However, after the Titanic disaster, many people saw the story as an eerie prophecy. There was no denying that there were many similarities between the story and what had occurred on Titanic. Furthermore, in 1892, Stead wrote another short story that depicted a different maritime disaster. The second story called, quote, From the Old World to the New, follows the crew of a ship that comes to the aid of the survivors of the RMS Majestic, a fictional passenger liner that capsized after colliding with guess what, an iceberg in the North Atlantic. Now that's weird, but it gets even weirder. You see, William T. Stead died on Titanic. He was a first class passenger on his way to New York to attend a peace conference. Survivors of Titanic reported very little about Stead's last hours. He chatted enthusiastically through the 11 course dinner that fateful night, telling thrilling tales, including one about a cursed mummy at the British Museum, but then went to bed about 10.30 p.m. After the ship struck the iceberg, Stead helped several women and children climb into the lifeboats in an act, quote, typical of his generosity, courage, and humanity, and he gave his life jacket away to another passenger. After the collision, a survivor named Philip Mock claimed that he saw Stead clinging to a piece of debris with another American millionaire, John Jacob Astor. Mock reported, quote, their feet became frozen and they were compelled to release their hold, like Jack. Both were drowned. Stead's body was never found, although his spirit did make subsequent appearances at seances all over the world. His corpse, however, vanished into the freezing waters of the North Atlantic. It's ironic that Stead's death occurred because he was unable to get a seat in one of Titanic's lifeboats. There simply weren't enough of them, which is something he'd warned the public about more than a decade before. But not all of the ghosts of Titanic show up at seances. There were many mere eerie stories about the area of the North Atlantic where Titanic went down. 
The first report appeared in 1972 when a crew member aboard a Canadian trawler made a notation in the ship's log about hearing screaming voices one night. It was a quiet, still night, and while the sounds could possibly have carried from some distance, the ship was then almost directly above the location where Titanic sank. On another night in 1972, the SS Hitchcock was traveling past the location where Carpathia rescued survivors from the disaster, and a young woman claimed to encounter the ghost of a young boy in old-fashioned clothing, clinging to the ship's rail. That same night, a man and woman encountered an elderly couple in period clothing as they walked on the ship's deck. The old couple greeted them warmly and walked on, but when the man and woman looked back at them, the couple had vanished. Fourteen years later, in the same spot in 1986, a ship from Nova Scotia reported seeing, quote, vague balls of bright light dancing on the horizon behind them as if from a ship in trouble. In April of 1989, 57 passengers on a British passenger ship described nearly the same thing, which they described as, quote, the ghostly spectacle of a vast ship concealed in an unearthly fog just a mile off their starboard. In 1977, Second Officer Leonard Bishop of the SS Winterhaven was approached by a cordial, white-haired man with a neatly trimmed beard and was asked for a tour of the ship. This incident occurred while crossing the North Atlantic, just where Titanic had gone down in 1912, although this was not on Bishop's mind at the time. He was happy to provide the man, who he assumed was a British tourist, with the tour, taking him to the bridge and down to the engine room. At the end of the tour, he turned to tell the man that he had to return to his duties and discovered the man who had just been behind him was gone. Crew members searched the engine room and the decks, assuming he'd wandered off, but he was never found. Years later, Bishop recognized a picture of Captain Edward J. Smith from Titanic as his guest on the tour that day. There have been many other reports from ships that crossed the region. Crews and passengers have often experienced hearing strange sounds, including old-time band music and calls of distress crackling over radios and transmission devices at night. In 1982, the radio, ship of, uh, the radio system of a ship called Queen Elizabeth reportedly shorted out in the area, and as the radio officer tried to fix it, he heard the sounds of people screaming and shrieks of desperation cutting through the static. Moments later, the radio went dead. Strangely, as the ship neared New York, the radio switched back on and was in perfect working order. Since the discovery of Titanic's wreckage in 1986, there have been dozens of explorations of the ship's remains and the surrounding debris field that many researchers and many of the researchers have had strange experiences that have mostly gone undocumented. In most cases, they don't want to connect ghost stories with the seriousness of the tragedy and are willing to either shrug off their personal encounters as imaginations working overtime or are simply not willing to talk about it for fear of looking foolish. However, some stories do manage to make the rounds. In addition to several encounters on the sea with eerie sounds and sightings, there have been rumors of undersea incidents that have been quickly hushed up by scholars trying to preserve the sanctity of the disaster. Sailors and engineers have spoken about whispers and voices in submersibles that didn't belong to any of the crew members or scientists present. An oceanographer sitting in a sub on the deck of Titanic briefly commented on seeing a shadow racing between the on-deck structures, later denying it and calling it a figment of his imagination. In one ascent from the depths, music similar to the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee, was heard reverberating in a submersible as it rose to the surface. The music stopped when it emerged from the sea. According to accounts from survivors, the song was played on deck by Titanic's orchestra in an attempt to keep passengers calm as they loaded the lifeboats. 
But there are no ghostly tales as prevalent as those connected to the artifacts that have traveled all over the country since the late 1990s. Many don't realize that the Titanic exhibit, which journeys from one major city to the next, giving people the opportunity to view as many articles, many of the art artifacts from the wreckage, seems to be perpetually haunted. Apparently, some of the ghosts of more than the 1,500 passengers who died in the disaster have attached themselves to the only remaining tangible objects from that fateful voyage. Or perhaps the haunting is merely residual energy from the tragedy of the shipwreck. Regardless, the exhibit is one of the only haunted traveling museums in the world. The exhibit began touring the United States in the late 1990s, taking advantage of the new interest that had been generated in Titanic after the release of James Cameron's film. Almost as soon as the exhibit opened in various museums, newspaper stories began appearing that described the haunting effects that were being experienced by exhibit visitors. An overwhelming number of them claimed to get an eerie feeling while viewing the artifacts as if being watched, or feeling an immense sadness around specific objects or areas of the exhibit. Most assumed it was the generally somber mood brought about by the disaster, but as more and more reports came in with similar claims, it began to be realized something very unusual was taking place. Visitors told of intense cold spots, sensations of being touched, pushed, and brushed past by invisible people. Some even told of seeing actual apparitions of the doomed Titanic passengers. One visitor to the exhibit who came with her daughter and four-year-old grandson said she firmly believed the artifacts were haunted. According to her story, they were viewing the first-class quarters when she and her daughter thought little of the young boy's repeated questions of, who's that lady, what's she doing? They assured the boy that what he saw was only a dress on display, but later after learning of other people's experiences with the exhibit and recalling the detailed description the little boy gave of the woman he saw, they realized he might have seen one of Titanic's ghosts. While no one can say for sure who the ghosts are that haunt the Titanic exhibit, there are some who believe at least one of them may be Frederick Fleet. The young man was on duty on the night of April 14th as a lookout, and it was Fleet who had telephoned the bridge with a dire warning of iceberg right ahead. Fleet remained in the crow's nest for 20 minutes after the ship struck the iceberg, waiting to be relieved. When he came down, he made his way to the boat deck where second officer Charles Lightoller ordered him to help launch and load the first lifeboat from the port side. After loading some 28 women and children, the boat was lowered to the water. But as it was being lowered, Lightoller realized it was undermanned and called for an experienced seaman to get into the boat. Fleet ended up in that lifeboat, which is how he survived the disaster. From June 1912, Fleet served briefly as a seaman on the White Star Liner Olympic. He found that White Star looked at Titanic's only surviving officers and crew as embarrassing reminders of the disaster, and he left the company in August. For the next 24 years, Fleet sailed with other companies, finally leaving the sea in 1936. Ashore, he worked as a shipbuilder and later was the shore master at arms for the Union Castle Mail Ship Company. As an old man, he sold newspapers on a street corner in Southampton. On December 28, 1964, Fleet's wife died. Her brother, with whom the couple lived, then evicted Fleet, and in a state of despondency, he committed suicide two weeks later. He was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave at Hollybrook Cemetery in Southampton. In 1993, a headstone was erected through donations by the Titanic Historic Society. According to those who knew him, Fleet spent his entire life consumed by guilt over what happened on the night of April 14, 1912. He always believed that he had not been alert enough during his watch, and that if he'd only seen the iceberg sooner, perhaps tragedy could have been avoided. Some believed that his suicide was not only caused by his wife's death, but by his guilt over the wreck of Titanic as well. 
Since the 1990s, some have come to believe that Fleet is one of the ghosts who haunt the Titanic exhibit. Psychics believe that it is his spirit who touches people who come through the displays, making sure everyone is safe. Is it truth or just a good story? Well, no one can say. But there does seem to be a sort of lingering energy around the remains of Titanic and weird encounters still continue to occur around the exhibit today. Our fascination with the story of Titanic and its ghostly history simply refuses to fade away. All right. That was there a doozy. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are recording this episode live at the 2020 Dead of Winter Festival at the Haunted Mineral Springs in Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor, and mom of the podcast, Lisa Taylor. I don't know. I'm a mom. Well, dead mother. Dead mother, mother, baby. Dead mother, sorry. I I don't like where this is going. I tried to add it right at the end because I didn't know. (laughs) Anyway, what a terrible story. Yeah, well. It's a downer. Yeah, and it ends on a low note. Well, it was supposed to be cold. You told me cold and someone suggested Titanic, so that's what I went with. He gave me two options and I said, ooh, Titanic. Oh, he he never gives me options. Yeah, I just just surprise you with what they are. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So dead of winter. So I I apologize for taking pictures and stuff, but every year I like send my parents a picture. I'm like, hey, here's what we're doing. And they still don't care or get it. (laughs) They don't understand what I do. They're just like, don't ask us for money and we don't care. Yeah, so Dead Winter, I was telling somebody last night, it's kind of like, it's like a kid's birthday party, you know, where like, there's not a lot for you to do, but like the kid's having a really good time, like I'm the kid, and I'm just <laughs> having a good time, and so I'm just going to make a bunch of like really terrible jokes. Uh, oh, good. For instance, uh, what, did the ice- different. what did the iceberg say to the Titanic? I don't know. I'd hit that. Oh. That's it? That's it. That's the joke? That's I'd it. hit that. Oh, I'd hit that. I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. He didn't clearly. get it. Now I get it. Do you oh, want to try it again? Sorry. This is why you I think I'm not hear funny, because well. you don't hear me. Yeah, I couldn't hear it very well. Anyway, April 14th, 1912. Four days in, RMS Titanic hits an iceberg. It sinks in two hours and 40 minutes. You good over there? Yes, I'm good. Okay. So, okay, so you're telling me the people who were actually on the ship only had to deal with that ship for like 160 minutes, but I had to sit through like a double VHS of that yes. every time my cousin yeah. Well, it's over. pretty much the entire movie running time is about how long it took the ship to sink. Oh, it seems like eternity when you're watching it. And that's, you know what? We're making jokes. I love that movie. I'm I sorry. Like I do. I like I it. I saw it three times. In I'm the always theater. asking Lisa to draw me like one of her French girls. She never does. So, but I do love the movie. I like Billy Zane. Uh, so, okay, it launches only half the necessary lifeboats because people thought it was supposed to be unsinkable, hubris. Um, why are there no binoculars in the crow's nest? They couldn't find them. The somebody had misplaced them at their last stop. Uh, in Ireland, they misplaced the binoculars, so somehow they didn't make it on the ship. So no one had binoculars. Huh. And so they were supposed to have them, obviously, in the crow's nest to look out for things, but 
they just had to just depend on their eyesight. And like I said, it was there was no moon and the sea was calm, so there were no waves breaking against the iceberg, so no one saw it till it was too late. Got it. I mean, it probably wouldn't have made any difference anyway, because if there was no moon out and the stars were shining, it would have reflected into the water. It would have true. just looked like there was no horizon. Yeah, that's true too. Mm. And by the time it took to turn that thing, they really need a lot of notice. I mean, you're talking about something that's what was it, 11 blocks long? I mean, yeah. that takes some time to turn, so. So you said that they did get messages about icebergs, but they weren't relay relayed to the bridge. Right, right. There were other ships that came through, kind of like when you use your um, Waze app, yeah. and then someone goes in and lets you know there are speed traps ahead. Right, it's right. kind of the same way they were doing in the North Atlantic, and they were telegraphing back to the other ships to let them know, hey, there's icebergs up here, be careful coming through. But they hadn't, because the ship was new and the crew was new, they had not established a protocol for how things were supposed to be handled. So when the radio room with their brand new radio equipment that no one really knew how to use very well, got messages that there were icebergs, they wrote it down and then left it sitting on a desk. There was a stack of six or eight messages sitting on a desk in the radio room warning about icebergs so many miles ahead, but nobody knew about it. The captain never received word. The officers on the bridge never received word. So it was just too late. So there was really a lot of dumb things that happened that caused this to occur. But, you know, Renee and I have written several books on disasters. And it seems like every time there's a terrible disaster like this, then new laws get passed that fix things. Yeah. You know, schools that have doors that you know open outward instead of inward, or gee, a fire escape on a school. Who would have thought? Uh, that kind of stuff. Smoke so alarm. same kind of thing happened with Titanic when it went down. They changed a lot of the rules and the British regulatory laws after that. But by then, it's too late for 1,517 people. So right, right. You said only two of those lifeboats went back. People were afraid of being swamped by people right. trying to climb in. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not Captain America. I don't really blame them. I don't know well, if I want to go back. Yeah, but that's the sea is a different kind of animal. There are different rules and regulations for how people behave yeah. on the sea. And it's like women and children leave the ship first. Right. And that didn't always happen because people panicked. Sure. Um, and it's the same thing with the boats. I mean, if there had been crew members on board all those lifeboats, which there were not, but if there had been, they would have gone back because they were supposed to, you remember in the movie, yeah. when Molly Brown is trying to get them to go back and right. then he refuses. Right. Somebody pulls out a gun, I believe. It's been a while since I've seen it. But um, so, you know, these are the things that happen with trying to save people and people didn't get saved, so. That's terrible. Uh, they said by the time the closest ship, Carpathia, arrived, took aboard 705 survivors, all from the lifeboats, and then 333 victims were recovered from the icy waters, but... Leaving 1,200 behind. Right. Well, we don't really know. We don't know how many they actually found because, as I said, they were only embalming and fishing out the first-class passengers. Um, how they knew this, I'm not... Well, maybe by their clothes. Well, I yeah. don't know how they knew, but they were only fishing out the first-class passengers and dropping the rest of them back into the water. How long would it have taken them to get to shore? Because, I mean, those people would have been free in popsicles, so, like, well, yeah, they, they just they were them anyway? several hundred miles off Newfoundland, so they a ways out there. So, mm. And a lot of them by that time, like Jack, slipped into the water and disappeared because they were frozen solid. Right, and right. Not unthawed. Yeah. So, 
Alright, uh, well, I've got more jokes, but I'll skip them. Um, I, I did, Not a good time. I did some, I made a Bloody Mary. I thought it would be funny. It's just terrible. This is an awful drink. I don't know why people drink it. Um, it I did some, some back in the envelope math, though. Um, if you were in coach, you had a 27% chance of surviving. If you were in first class, you had a 62.5% chance of surviving. Yeah. And females had a 52% chance, a better chance of surviving than males. So. They did some of the women and children. Yeah, well, maybe, and well, by probably chance. the probably the upper class people, and they did the steerage people who were able to get to the deck. I mean, the, the movie. Yes, there's a lot of drama in it, but a lot of it is pretty accurate. Uh, they really did have gates locked from steerage because, like the Iroquois theater disaster in 1903, the balconies were the cheap seats, and they locked the gates to the balconies so that the the people who paid a cheaper ticket wouldn't be able to come down to the main floor during the show. And so when the theater caught on fire, those people were all trapped in the balcony, which is why so many of them died. And in this case, the steerage passengers down in the bowels of the ship in big dormitory type areas where they were housed could not get up to the top because the gates had been locked to keep them from wandering the decks uh, where all the first class passengers were. And that was the way, that was the ticket that you bought because that's all you could afford. And most of those people were, were immigrants coming to America for the very first time. And so they couldn't even get to the deck. So once they got the gates open and a lot of them got up there, um, some of the women and children were saved, but most of the men were not. Most of the men died. So now you have women with small children coming to a brand new country. You've lost everything you own. It went down with the ship, or except for what you can carry. And you have all these widows and orphans now that are, you know, if they're lucky on a lifeboat and made it to New York with no one. So it's the, this, this is one of those disasters that had so many levels to the disaster that it's not just a shipwreck, it's all of these wrecked lives that followed behind it, you know? So I think, that's one of, I think that's one of the reasons why we as a society are so fascinated with Titanic. You've got this beautiful, luxurious piece of, you know, only the, the wealthy aspire to the, you know, the, the salons of the Titanic and then it, nature took its hand and destroyed it, you know? And there were just so many people were affected by this disaster and of course the newspapers jumped right on it immediately, of course, putting out those quick quick write-up books about the Titanic disaster, and there were newspaper reports and all kinds of, I mean, that happened a lot late, you know, late 19th, early 20th century. They could put out a book within about a week. Well, I mean, they do that now. I mean, look how fast, like, in the early 90s, how fast O.J. Simpson books came out. You know, it ain't gone on trial yet. Um, so same thing happened back then too. Uh, it would be Titanic or the Galveston hurricane or an Iroquois theater fire or whatever had happened at the time. So yeah, so and it's kept the story alive. Sure, and speaking of the, the journalism, William T. Stead, is that right? Yes. So, what, okay. Why did this guy ever get on this ship? Yes, yeah, a good question. It is a good question. Um, if he was getting messages from the spirit world, you would have thought somebody would have said, hey, you might want to find a different route to get to uh, New York. But, yeah, uh, I don't, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. He did go down on Titanic. Well, yeah, and you mentioned he's seen clinging to a piece of debris with American millionaire John Jacob Astor before driving. Well, which seems like a... 
that seems like a bit of an apocryphal story. Yeah. Oh, look, it's William Stead and John Jacob Astor, two of the most famous people on the ship. Oh, they're clinging to a board. That sounds like somebody made that one up. Well, but we know he died. Let's I, put it that I way. I wanted to make the joke about is this where James Cameron got the inspiration for Leo, but then you decided to improv that. I'm sure already. there were plenty of right. inspirations for Right. So you said they had an 11 course. Okay, you just glossed over the fact they had an 11 course dinner that night. Yeah, that was standard. Didn't help. Us. I'm sure it didn't help. Um, but also, I, <laughs> yeah. No wonder they say. I'm just saying, yeah. you're not white, right? Oh, uh, uh, the stomach cramps. Yeah. And yeah. Was it more than two yeah, hours? I don't know. It might not have been a half hour if they were swimming. swimming. That's a good if question. If we'll eat that much, you yeah. probably should wait a full hour. Yeah, probably so. Troy, do you know what type of lettuce they served on the Titanic? Uh, iceberg, <laughs> iceberg lettuce. That one was an easy one. I'm sorry. Like I said, it's a kid's birthday party, right? <laughs> Let's talk about some of the ghost stories. Other ships hearing screaming voices in the water where the Titanic sank. Uh, you mentioned seeing like the ghost of like a young child clinging to the side of a boat where the Carpathia rescued people. You know what I would do in that situation. Yeah, push the child off yeah, the boat. Yeah, he's getting the yeah, and he's yeah, just going, ghost kids and Cody. I don't deal with ghost kids. Yeah. Uh, but then there's like the cute old couple walking, you know, vanishing, that sort of thing. Lights on the horizon. Uh, even as recently as 89? Yeah, that's the mm -hmm. most recent, well, uh, yeah, the most recent stuff was that I could find was some of the early stuff from uh, when they were diving on the wreckage and that kind of stuff. Those were the most recent stories. So. I thought that was really recent, and then I was like, oh, wow, that was 30 years ago. I know, ago. but seems recent, yeah. so. Um, okay, 1977, second officer, Leonard Bishop of the SS Winter Haven gives a tour of the ship to an older man, then that guy vanishes, later recognizes him as Captain Edward J. Smith. This is on another trip across the Atlantic. Uh, quick tour, what do you get if you cross the Atlantic Ocean with the Titanic? I don't know. About halfway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. is, I like that one. <laughs> that one's better. I'm almost done with that. Uh, <laughs> and then another trip, the radio's cutting, cutting out, and the operator hears like screaming coming yeah. through. That's terrifying. That's yeah. bad. And awesome. And then it starts working again as the ship reaches New York. Um, you said that sailors and engineers talk about whispers and submersibles and, and things like that. Uh, this isn't a joke. I wonder if James Cameron has any stories. Oh yeah, I know. Things, you wonder. You know? A lot of those guys just, those stories have leaked out, but most of them don't want to go on record because these are guys who are like real scientists and they don't want right. to start spreading ghost stories. But people still tell some of the things. I think that I think the creepiest one is the guys that were in the submersible that heard the music yeah. as I they were coming the up. One. I think that's probably the best one. Yeah. And these are guys who, you know, have no reason to want to talk about things like this, mm -hmm. you know. But imagine how spooky that is down there. Oh god. That no. deep in the ocean and that ruins and the wreckage of that ship, it's got to be spooky. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. not sure I'd even want to do it. Well, I was talking to I think it'd be better than the silence. I guess. I guess. But man, it's the whole thing would be crazy. No, because you got sharks, too. Well, not, not down that there. Deep. You sure? Not that deep. Positive. I'm not, I'm not risking it. <laughs> uh, Sunlight doesn't even you're go down that submarine. far. You're in a submarine. It's not like you're just swimming. Down uh, there. Mm, Actually, okay. the submarine doesn't even go down that far. You have to go I'll down as far road. as you can in a submarine, and then they let out this little robot called JJ, and then he goes down even further. Oh, yeah. I he's got, teacher. Yeah, yeah. Teacher. He's got, like, claw hands, and then they put him back in, and then he comes back up again. That's fine. Yeah. Um, because it'll crush you like a tin can. If there are tin cans yes. to be crushed, uh, then yes. yes. I was talking to Charlie uh, Brockes yesterday about uh, about the story a little bit, and we, we were talking about uh, the haunted artifacts, and he said he saw one of the violins 
on yeah. like in Gatlinburg somewhere. Yeah, um, and then so he said they had like a, he said they had a piano too, but he, he informed me, he assured me this is not from the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. This was a replica yeah. uh, that he got to play. Just like thanks for letting me know that. Yeah. Um, and then just the last story on here is probably the saddest, but the Frederick Fleet who yelled iceberg right ahead survives, has a life at sea, but. And just a really terrible ending. I know, right? Yeah. Talk about a hard luck story. Yeah. Jeez, uh, that's really all I had. But I wanted to ask, I mean, if you were on the Titanic, what, what would you guys have done? Just die? Do you have a plan? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, well I, guess, I guess it depends on what kind of ticket I bought. Yeah. So, well, in other I know, words, I I'd have been down in the bottom. Yeah, so, I would have yeah. been down in the bottom. But as a woman, I might have I mean, made what, it out. When you watch the movie, which party looked better? Honestly, downstairs. The steerage party Goodness. looked a lot better than the upstairs. So they had better yeah. music. Yeah. The yeah. food was probably even better. I don't was, want eleven courses. Yeah. I don't know if I need eleven courses, but I don't know if I want Roth potatoes either or whatever they were eating down there. But yeah. anyway, better party to party and steerage. We'll just go with that. So that's all I have. Do we want well, to? Well, I've got to bring up. Yeah. 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 I, this is something from when I was little, and I know that this is going to crush me, but. Was there a pharaoh, a, a haunted or a cursed mummy on the boat or not? No. No, that's just a story. Um, have you, anybody else heard, heard that, that story? No. There's an urban legend about how Titanic sank because there was a mummy that had been brought back from Egypt that had a curse on it. I mean, they all did, technically. Of course they did. But it was at the British Museum, and the story goes they were transporting the mummy to New York aboard. And then, you know, the... Paul Harvey rest of the story moment is they don't tell you what the ship is, but only that they were transporting this mummy across the Atlantic and the ship it was on sank and it was aboard Titanic. That's not true. That that story never happened. Um, the, the reason I mentioned about Stead telling stories in the dining room at dinner is because he was telling a story about a cursed mummy at the British Museum and somehow that got mixed into the bigger part of the story and then Somehow, I think they made a movie about a mummy on a port of cruise ship, and it all just became part of our consciousness. And that's not that's so. Not somehow, true. in sixth grade, I heard a rumor from well, the Titanic. It, it was I, in no, it was in um, it was in some of those like kids' books, like Daniel Cohen's, you know, true ghost stories and oh. stuff. So it was in some books, but yeah, it wasn't. It didn't actually happen. I wanted so. to believe that. I, I did too. It's a much better story than some idiot forgot his binoculars. But yeah. you know, I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, do we want to open sure. it up? Yeah. If anybody's got any questions, we've got a couple minutes. We do. Yeah. Does anybody have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints? Conspiracy <laughs> theories, because I've got more. Have you heard the story of the lady who was on the Titanic and survived? An employee. She then was an employee on board the Lusitania. Yeah, I have heard that. And then later she was a nurse in World War One on board the Britannica. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have so heard the that question too. was, yeah. have we heard yeah. of the employee who was first on the Titanic and survived, then on the Lusitania and survived, and then on the Britannica? As Britannic. Britannic. Yeah. Britannic. Not and the survived that sinking as well. And then survived that yeah. as well. Stop so that was right. right? I, I, I think, think I would have, after done. the first one, it would have been enough, but after second, for sure, yeah. that would have been enough. But so, and you have heard of that before? Yeah, I have heard of that before. I so wonder what she actually, went on to do after that. There's a couple buried in the Alton City Cemetery that were aboard the Lusitania. 
I don't think we have any Titanic people in Alton, but we do have Lusitania. We do um, have so, a Titanic person. Well, we do, yeah, but not on a boat. Not on a boat. So, yeah, good question. Yeah. Patrick? What do you got? I want to know, Troy, please, if there could be ghosts or residual energy underwater. Like, like, oh. Patrick is asking if uh, we think there might be residual energy able to happen underwater. Yeah, I don't see why not, because um, when I mentioned we were going to do Titanic as this story, everybody's like, well, how is that on it? I'm like, well, there are all of these stories, not to mention the artifacts, but all these stories about that area of the sea being haunted. So with residual energy, I mean, it's all, that's all generated by water anyway. I believe, that's my theory. My theory is that it's, it's all generated by water anyway. So that's a lot of water and any place where, you know, in an intense, horrific, traumatic event occurs, I think either land or water, I don't see any reason why it couldn't remain behind. But as Cody pointed out, a lot of the stories about people having encounters about that or in that area of the ocean have died down. You don't hear them quite as much as you used to. So like most residual hauntings, maybe it has faded away over time. And it's just sort of started to calm down as times went on. And maybe a lot of that transferred to those artifacts that are now in Branson and the other places and traveling around still, that maybe that's where a lot of that energy ended up. So, because all of that stuff was brought up from the bottom of the ocean, so. I've always wondered with the uh, artifacts that are in those museums, if some of the activity that we hear about there, if it's not the energy that we bring to the artifacts too, because we come into those museums True. with our own emotions and witnessing these things, you know, and, and bringing our emotions to the artifacts, I wonder if that can yeah, have something to do with Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, it. too. Yeah, I think you're right. <coughs> yeah. Or at least we keep it going with our right. energy. Right, yeah. Know. I don't know, I'm just wondering if there are ghost sharks now, and I'm hoping that there are ghost sharks. Anyone else? Wrap it up. No. Okay. Wrap it up. Well, okay, I mean, well, that's it. That's it. Um, I guess since we're running uh, a little bit behind, I'm just going to end it and okay. be good to go. And this episode of American Podcast was written by Troy Taylor. It was produced and edited by no one because I'm just going to post it as is. <laughs> in each bi-weekly episode, we try to combine this off the first legend, imagination, and the truth to reveal more about America's most haunted places, strange tales, and unexplained events. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or yeah. If you've got an iPhone, if you open it right now to the podcast app and just click on it and then in the search bar put in American Hauntings and you can find the podcast and we are on episode like 58 so that's a lot to listen to is that it? so yeah I think yeah. so but you know American Hauntings isn't just a podcast it's books and tours events like Dead of Winter and more all of which you can find on our main website at AmericanHauntings.net and if you want even more from us you can become a supporter of the podcast on Patreon <laughs> show, t-shirts, discounts, great stuff in the mail, and more. Thanks to our supporters, we have updated our equipment for the show, and with continued help from you, we can dedicate more time and resource to creating even more shows in the future. Take a minute and check it out. I think you'll like what you find at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And I didn't forget to record the show. That is not what happened two years well, ago. Well, something like it happened. Be sure so. to get in touch if you have any comments about the show, suggestions, reviews, jokes, or just want to tell us what you really think of us. We're reachable via email, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Carrier Pigeon, Telegram, Skywriting, and messages. Which is in a bottle. Yeah. Messages in a bottle. Yeah, I got to know. Messages written on convicts thrown from airplanes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good Until point. Forgot time. about that one. Goodbye. So long. 
see you later. See you. Thank you. Everybody. Thanks, you guys. <laughs>